You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. Lugo pitches a one, two, three, seven, then in great. Let him start the eighth. And my attitude was this, and I'd love to sit here and first guess the crap out of managers. I've done it many times, but here's my first guess. Guy gets on base. I go to Edwin Diaz. That is my first guess. Well, Buck did it. I love Buck. I mean, I Buck managed that eighth inning exactly the way I, I wanted, and I'm sure many Met fans wanted. Lugo gets Rengifo to ground out, and I think he fell behind him too, which was sort of scary. Now he faces Brandon Marsh with a two-run lead, and somehow, and maybe this is why we shouldn't trust Seth Lugo, he walks him on four pitches, and you know Mike Trout's on deck. Like, if you're Seth Lugo, and I know it's not as easy as saying this, so for us, it's like we're playing a video game. If I'm playing Hoff and MLB The Show, and everything's the same. He's the Angels, I'm the Mets, right? And Brandon Marsh is up and Mike Trout's on deck. I'd probably say this through the headphones to Pete. I'd say, I'm just, I'm going to groove it. Because I'd rather you hit a home run than me walk this guy ahead of Mike Trout. Now, I get it. Seth Lugo is not a machine. He's not a controller at a video game. But when it's 2-0, and even before it got to 3-0, it's 2-0. and I'm saying to the TV, Seth, just throw a freaking strike. If Brandon Marsh hits the ball over the fence, okay, you're done anyway. But the one thing you can't do is you can't walk him. You've got God on deck. And I know I'm over-exaggerating, but he is talked about as if he's God. The great Mike Trout. And he is great, by the way. I'm not disputing his greatness. It's just the talk about him sometimes frustrates me. And Seth Lugo walks Brandon Marsh on four pitches. And at that moment, Buck Showalter made the right decision, the decision that if he doesn't make it there, we're all screaming and yelling at the top of our lungs, whether it works or it doesn't work. Because the one thing I'll always try to do, and it may sound stupid at times, but I I really believe in it, so I apologize if it sounds stupid, is I'm going to tell you what I thought at the time strategy-wise, even if it backfires, even if, why are you even bringing that up? Everything worked out well. Because I'm going to be honest about what I'm thinking at the time. What I'm thinking at the time is get Seth Lugo's dopey ass out of this game. He just walked Brandon Marsh on four pitches. And get Edwin Diaz in and throw him right in the fire. Because if the New York Mets are going to win a World Series this year, isn't that the goal? Isn't that why we're here? 
Edwin Diaz is going to have to do crap like this. He's going to have to come in and get four or five out saves. Now, this isn't foreign to him. If you go back to last year, Edwin Diaz had four and five out saves. He's done it before. This is not something he's never done. He hasn't done it this year. Buck hasn't deployed him now. So for 2022, first time he's done it. But in 2019, he came in for, if I'm not mistaken, and you could try to fact check me on this, four multi, three or more out, not three or more outs, four or more out saves. Like eighth inning, trying to get a save. And he was effective three of those four times. The one time he wasn't effective is a game that I think basically killed him at season last year. Final game before the All-Star break against the Pirates, which my five-year-old still remembers. We blew it against the Pirates. Yes. No, I know. I know, Jet. And, you know, that day I was screaming, come on, Jake, come out of the bullpen on three days rest. Meanwhile, he hasn't pitched since. So I'm asking this guy to pitch on three days rest. Yeah, three days earlier was the last start he made. And we're still waiting on him to come back. So the point is Edwin can do this. And the Mets are going to need Edwin to do this. Whether they add a big arm out of the bullpen like we predict and assume, whether there is a starting pitcher that ends up in the bullpen, there's going to be moments come October, as Jairus Familia, where Edwin Diaz is going to have to get four, five, Six out saves. He strikes out Mike Trout. I'm telling you, this is odd. First pitch slider, I was confident. As soon as he broke that 91-mile-an-hour slider that Mike Trout got frozen on, I felt good. Then he swings through like a 99-mile-an-hour fastball, strikes out Mike Trout. He walks Anthony Rendon, which made me nervous again. And then he strikes out Jared Walsh. And he wasn't helped out by this Randy Rosenberg character, the home plate umpire, who missed how many calls in the 8th and ninth inning? There were a few. Go back and look. I'm not a bitch-ass Ranger fan just complaining. I'm being honest. Like, that's factual. Like, strike zones are factual. What's a penalty and what's not a penalty is just Ranger fans bitching. That's all it is. Like, some things aren't 100%. It's like, well, I looked at it and saw something different. Strike's a strike. Those are strikes. And he overcame it. And he threw 14 pitches in that eighth inning, which I kept an eye on, to wonder, how does he come out in the ninth inning? What helped him is that Alonzo with that two-run home run to give him a little bit more insurance. And my God, he didn't miss a beat in that ninth inning. Didn't miss a beat. Strikes out Matt Duffy. Strikes out Juan Lagares. Strikes out Kurt Suzuki. And there's Shohei Otani waiting on deck. I get it's a three-run game, so you're kind of saving your chip for when you need to. I just, I have a tough time not using one of my best offensive players. That's my first guess, second guess on Phil Nevin. I get it. You're waiting because if you can get a couple of guys on base, he's going to pinch hit for Rengifo or he's going to pinch hit for Tyler Witt. I totally get it. I'm just giving you the comment of it sucks to not use your best weapon at all. Not that it's the same as Buck Showalter keeping Zach Britton in his back pocket, but when I have my best player, not that Otani's their best player, Mike Trout is. I mean, Otani does two things that Mike Trout, one thing that Mike Trout can't do, but overall Mike Trout is better specifically as an offensive player is what I mean. It's tough not using him, but it ain't my effing problem. The Mets win. Buck puts on a clinic over the final few innings of this game. 
and the Mets secure themselves a 5-5 five and five road trip. Now, as far as the standings are concerned, we kind of knew this was coming. It's like you built a 20-point lead in the NBA, and it's the first quarter, and you're facing a really good team. You're not just going to wire to wire this really good team. You may beat this really good team, but they're going to make a run. They may cut it to six. They may even cut it to one. And your hope is you've built a big enough lead to where you can hold this raging hot streak off. Now, it is still only June, so we have a long, long ways to go in this season. But the Atlanta Braves right now are the hottest team in baseball. I mean, there's no debating that. They won 11 in a row. And I don't want to hear about schedules. I don't want to hear about who they're facing. Because that's the stuff Mets fans and Yankee fans are doing to each other right now. And it's stupid. It doesn't matter who you play. And no one looks at a team's record and says, well, hold on. How many of those wins came against teams above 500? Nobody does that. You know, yes, the Atlanta Braves have won 11 in a row, and they've done it against nothing but crappy teams. That is 100% factual. Who cares? It doesn't matter. They're 34 and 27. And by the way, here's some bad news for anyone who does get crazy about who they faced. So they began this win streak against the Arizona Diamondbacks, right? The hitless wonders. Then it continued against the Rockies, the Athletics, and the Pirates, just so you could put names on this. All of them bad teams. We all agree no one's arguing. Do you know who the Atlanta Braves play this week? Well, I'm going to tell you. They play the Washington Nationals and the Chicago Cubs. More bad teams. So if they go six for six on this road trip, and now they have a 17-game winning streak, it's still a 17-game winning streak. It doesn't matter who you do it against. So usually we have these inane discussions when arguing the Mets versus the Yankees. But I just want to point this out about the Braves. It sucks. They're winning every single day. They're giving up two runs or less every single day. Matt Olson's like a hero now. I, I get it. I don't want to see it. Ronald Acuna's uh, doing his LeBron James imitation every single night. The Braves are good. I mean, should we be surprised by this? I mean, this is a baseball team, and, I, you know, I, I hate saying this because I don't like the Braves. They have been the most disrespected team over the last half a decade because Ever since they won their first division championship of this run, you know, we'll call it the Ronald Acuna, I don't even want to call it the Ronald Acuna era, whatever era you want to call it, starting in 2018. Every single year, someone else has picked to win the NL East. Like, the Braves have never really been given that much respect over the last five years. And if you haven't paid attention, yes, they won the World Series last year, we all know that. They've won four straight divisions. Now, this isn't exactly Maddox, Glavin, Bobby Cox, but they've won four straight divisions. They win 95 games almost every year. The year they don't win 95 games, they win 88 games and they win the World Series. So they're good. They're good. The last team, last time they weren't good was five years ago. They're good. We knew this run was coming. And so, look, you, you can flip-flop this way however you want. If I told you, no Jake, no Max, five and a half games lead. If I told you a week and a half ago, ten and a half game lead is going to go down to five and a half, wouldn't that be depressing? Yes, you could cut and paste it however the hell you want. You can make it to be the most amazing thing ever or the worst thing ever. Here's the bottom line. The New York Mets are going to play the Atlanta Braves a crap load of times this season. They are not done yet. 
In fact, they have only played four times this season. So that means they've got 15 games left on the schedule. 15 games. And that's going to determine this thing. In the meantime, take care of the Milwaukee Brewers and the Miami Marlins. Hope the Atlanta Braves get tripped up. Their schedule will toughen up because they got a homestand against the Giants and Dodgers coming up. Just continue to have a lead. Hopefully, it can get back up to seven, eight, or nine games. But look, they're very hot. What were you going to do? Of course, you're going to lose ground as they're winning 11 in a row. You knew that was going to happen. The Philadelphia Phillies getting hot? Maybe not. I don't, I don't know if I expected them to get as hot as they've gotten since they fired Joe Girardi. I'm still not scared of him personally. I give him credit. They've been red hot. Zach Wheeler's tremendous. I wish he was still a New York Met. The Braves are the team to worry about. And you should worry about them because they're good. But 15 games between the New York Mets and the Atlanta Braves. And that's going to help determine it. What's crazy is that they don't play again until a little bit before the All-Star break. July 11, July 12, July 13. Then they play a bunch of games in August. I think they play seven. Let me look it up. Two, four. They got a five-game series at City Field in August. Because of uh, the lockout. You got a five. That sounds familiar. Remember they had a five-game series against the Braves last year? The Mets lost three out of five, and that gave them enough confidence to go out and make a bunch of trades. So there's going to be a lot of games against each other. And hopefully Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer are pitching in a lot of those games. But I wouldn't fret about where this lead went. You knew the Braves were going to go on some kind of run. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Anyhow, Let's take a little comments from Twitter for Rico Bronia. And I'm just going to read them, whether they're negative, positive, or whatever the hell people are saying. So I'll start with Peter D. I can't believe you were okay if the Mets finished the first half 12 games over. Well, yeah, because what I was saying was when Max and Jake went down, go play 500 baseball. That was my expectation. Just go play 500 baseball. And at the time, to Peter's point, they were 12 games above 500. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't expect them to go play 600 baseball. And by the way, I don't know what their record's going to be when Jake and Max come back. I may not be that far off, but it was a reasonable goal because my thought was, and it remains the same, survive without your two best pitchers. Now, obviously, when you're watching them on a day-in, day-out basis, you're hoping you go into every single game you play but survive without your two best pitchers because when Jacob DeGrom is back, assuming he comes back, and if or when Max Scherzer comes back, all of a sudden, this team looks very, very different. So, yeah, I stand by that. Why is that stunning? Joe DeSanto writes, very encouraging road trip. 18 games above 500 without DeGrom or Scherzer. I'm a Met fan. I'll always be skeptical, but I love this team. Of course, we always love our team when they're playing well. Like when Lindor is giving advice to Pete Alonso right before he hits a home run. And Eduardo Perez says, that's why this team could go far. 
I think they were doing that last year too. And we love that until we stopped loving it because the team was playing like crap. JQ asks, where do you see the Mets improving? A bat, bullpen, or rotation as it comes to the dog days of summer? I think the bullpen will definitely be addressed. Sometimes it's tough to address the bullpen because you've got to look at all the bad teams in baseball and say, okay, who from that team, from those teams, would add to our bullpen? So the Cincinnati Reds are really, really bad. You want Edwin's brother, Alexis Diaz? You know what I mean? So, okay, Colorado Rockies, bad. You want Daniel Bard? Is that going to really move the needle? Is it going to make it move, as some may say? Probably not. So, it's tough. I mean, ideally, you want, like, this dominant closer on a crappy team. Well, how many crappy teams have a dominant closer? But I do think they're going to add a bat, and that gets me to J.D. Davis. J.D. Davis is now the everyday DH, and he's hit. If you look at his production since the moment he became the guy, let's just call it June 1st, he's in about 320. He did hit a home run today or in the Sunday night game, but you're looking for more extra base pop. You're looking for more of that, but he's hit over the last two and a half weeks. But do I see J.D. Davis as the everyday DH on August 5th, three days after the trade deadline? I don't know, man. I was envisioning the Red Sox selling. That one looks far off because they're in a wild card spot now with the way they've played. So I was imagining J.D. Martinez. That one doesn't seem as realistic. But I think they'll shop for a bat. I don't think they'll shop for rotation help, assuming Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer don't have setbacks. Uh, The copy Frederick asks, should J.D. be playing over Luis Guillerme? Now, here's what's interesting about that. Luis Guillerme is a nice piece in this lineup. He is that guy who can battle, give you nine, 10 pitch at bats, hit him where they ain't. I'm not saying he's a 320 hitter, but obviously he was producing at a very high level and he's marvelous defensively. So if you said, look, I'm going to play Luis Guillerme at second base, I'm going to play Jeff McNeil at DH or Mark Canna at DH, are you a better defensive team because you have Guillerme defensively every single day? Yeah, but the problem is, if now you're DHing Jeff McNeil, you lose that versatility option late in the game. So if it comes down to strictly who's better offensively, J.D. or Luis, they're different. If J.D. can hit for pop, J.D.'s a guy who can scare you a hell of a lot more or scare opponents a hell of a lot more. I think right now both guys should play, and both guys are playing. Both guys should get ample opportunities to play. Matt Frasco says, do McNeil and Nimmo both deserve all-star bids with Alonzo, Lindor, and Diaz? How many guys are we setting to the freaking all-star game? You know, here's what's difficult about all-star selections, and I'll do my homework on it. You kind of have to look at how everybody's doing. You know, you watch a team every day. Do I feel Jeff McNeil's been an all-star caliber player just based on watching him every single day? Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, do I feel Lindor is an all-star? Lindor's had a very good year. It's just been up and down. Uh, Edwin Diaz is an all-star. Pete Alonso is an all-star. But in fairness, you always have to compare it to the other kind of guys battling. You know what I mean? So on the top, on the surface, I don't think Brandon Nimmo's an all-star, by the way. Um, I know he gets on base a lot, and a lot of the stats are very nice to him because he's really good defensively in center field. He's a good base runner. And I like Brandon Nimmo, but I haven't felt as if he's had an all-star caliber season. The other thing is, do you care if he's an all-star? 
I mean, do you care if the Mets have five All-Stars? I don't know, man. Jamie I mean, writes, it's great optics, job splitting. What'd you say, Hoff? It's it's optics. It's optics. Like, the Yankees are probably going to have a buttload of guys there, right? They're probably going to have, I'd say, f- at least five to six players, potentially on top of pitchers. So, optically, it's going to look nice to go to All-Star game. Does it mean anything to anybody? No, but... Optically, it's like, wow, they're really doing well. Especially the fan base being behind them. You know what's funny? Outside of Aaron Judge, he's the only offensive player who's an all-star for the New York Yankees. But their entire rotation are all-stars. And Clay Holmes is an (laughs) all-star. So when you... So when you add it up, you may have like seven all-stars, as you said. You're telling me Jose Trevino is not going to get uh, <laughs> a, a, an all-star nod because the Yankees fans are are through the roof right now this year? They're the best team no, in baseball. Trevi- Trevino's great, man. I mean, I listen, if I if I was a Yankee fan, I'd be through the roof about Jose Trevino too. But <laughs> I don't know. I, I, maybe it's my age because I think when I was a lot younger, I thought differently about the all-star game. When we get to All-Star Week, the, you know, the three or four days that we have off, I just want a break. As a diehard baseball fan who invests a lot of time watching all these games, when I get to Home Run Derby Monday and All-Star Game Tuesday, I'm emotionally exhausted. So if Pete Alonzo's there and Jeff McNeil's there, I'm happy for them individually. But I can tell you right now, just as a fan, it, it doesn't do anything for me. I'm not concerned about guys getting hurt. I'm not giving you one of those speeches. It's more whatever. Uh, yeah. Okay, great. They're there. Congratulations. Hopefully they get a big bonus for it. So you're saying there's not going to be an emergency Pete Alonso home run derby podcast? No. No. <laughs> you can do it, though, if you want. I'll hand the reins to you for the Rico Brown. You can break down his home run derby swing. I know Pete that. loves it. I can tell you that. I know he's a, he's a huge fan of that. He does well. He does well. He does well. He owns the home run derby. <laughs> they should rename it after him. All right, so the Mets are finally coming home. Thank God. Three games against the Milwaukee Brewer team that has not played well. They have recently fallen out of first place. They may have actually gotten back into first place because they did win the finale of their game on uh, on Sunday. Now nah, they're still a half game back, but they very much have struggled. The Mets get three games against them and three games against the Marlins. It's just going to be good to have this team at home. They get a much-needed off day, and hopefully we get closer to seeing the return of Jacob deGrom and Max Scherzer. But overall, very successful five and five road trip we will record again after the brewers series ends so in general when the mets finish a series i'd say we try to start recording maybe within the hour of that game ending and then posting it up you know pretty much soon after that so you can expect another edition of rico Bronya coming up thursday night after they wrap up their series against the brewers and then again sunday night after they wrap up their homestand actually no the series doesn't end sunday the series ends monday see it's a wraparound. Did you know that, Pete? Uh, I did now. I didn't know that. <laughs> you know what? I, I, It's funny. I kept thinking about this homestand as a six-game homestand, six-game homestand. Then all of a sudden, I went to go look at my tickets because I'm a season ticket holder. And I see Monday afternoon. And I'm like, oh, crap. I got to get rid of that. I'm not going. I got, I got to work. I'm doing a radio show. So that episode may be a little bit delayed because I do have to do Carton Roberts and then come home. So... I guess we'll post <laughs> we'll post that Rico Bronia sometime Monday night after they wrap up their four-game series against the Miami Marlins. Either way, thank you very much for listening to another episode of Rico Bronia.
We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronya podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times.